one night, I am being one of the most positive people on the planet. I basically said, I can't tolerate this pain anymore. And my husband had been my caregiver for a long time. And I requested that friends took him out. I asked my nurse to leave all my medications by my bed, telling her it was easier for me to reach them. And that evening, I had made a decision to take my medications and to leave the planet. I just could not tolerate the pain. And I decided to write a note to really let my husband understand what I was going through. And Brian, I was writing this note. And after a long period of time, I went to read the note and I realized I had written a book. And I thought, what just happened? And I reread this book that I wrote and it all about abundance and allowing abundance into your life. And in that moment, I said, Terry, you are meant to do something with RSD. It came to you for a reason. You have a voice, you have a following. So as odd as this sounds, Brian, it truly was one of the biggest blessings in my life. I still have the disease, it doesn't go anywhere. However, I get up every day and I function and I work to help others with the disease. That's Terry Levine, and I'm Brian Felchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Felchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do A Day podcast. I've got a great guest today. It's Terry Levine. She is an expert in helping business owners and, and leaders figure out how to grow, how to sell better, how to market better, and, and figure out their strategies there. But it's not, uh, it's, it's not from a place of like just business strategy starts with heart. And so her whole thing is what she calls being a heartrepreneur. It's an entrepreneur with heart. And that pervades everything that she does. Uh, and she also has a podcast called Heartrepreneur Radio. So Dr. Levine has more than 30 years of business, sales, and marketing experience. She's worked with over 5,000 business owners. I mean, she's, she's really, really well known in the space. She's also a best-selling author of over 30 titles and she's a popular keynote speaker. Her last book, or her latest book, I should say, Turbocharge, How to Transform Your Business as a Heartrepreneur, hit the Amazon bestseller list in 24 hours after it was released. She's got this mission of changing the way business is done in the 21st century and creating a movement of hundreds of thousands of heartrepreneurs doing business heart to heart. So she really is focused on bringing that personal connection into the corporate space, into the business world. And it's not just, you know, a catchphrase, like she is incredibly committed to it. And of course, there's a reason why. That's why she's here. She's got quite a journey, quite a story. And unlike a lot of people that we talk to, hers isn't over. So Terry is still in the midst of her journey as she will be going forward. And that shaped a lot of who she is. The crazy thing for me is I got to know Terry before she was on the show I had no idea what her daily experience is like. You don't get it. You, you know, unless she stops to tell you her story, you wouldn't know. And there's something about how she lives with what she's been dealt that is inspiring, empowering, and gives you a sense of possibility. 
I want to get right to that. So let's get into the episode with Dr. Terry Levine. Hey, thanks for joining us here today, Terry. I'm so glad to have you on the show and sharing your story and inspiration with everyone out there. Thanks for having me, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I want to, you know, I don't want to jump right in, but I kind of want to jump right in. Um, you have a really powerful and inspiring story that, you know, I mentioned to you offline that I hadn't even, um, I hadn't even fully been aware of just what you've been through to bring you to today. I had more of an awareness of what you're doing today than the backstory that led you to it. So I'm myself getting inspired in this call, which is, uh, it's always an exciting thing for me, but please, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and, what is that journey that has brought you through to this place you know you have today where you're helping inspire and, and support people? Well, thank you so much. Um, you know, about, oh my goodness, 11, almost 12 years ago, I remember I was going to work out with my personal trainer. It was a beautiful day. It was sunny. It was warm, just perfect. And I remember driving there thinking to myself, my life is so amazing. Everything is perfect. And 20 minutes later, I had torn my Achilles. Um, I actually went into shock. And while I was at the hospital, I was screaming and screaming and screaming. And I remember grabbing a nurse's arm saying, when are you getting me morphine? And I remember this look on her face saying, we've given it to you twice. And nobody really knew what was wrong with me. It shouldn't be that painful once it snaps. It shouldn't be that painful. So it ended up on this journey of 19 doctors uh, being in a, a wheelchair, unable to use my leg, um, being in a wheelchair for over 18 months, being put on a tremendous amount of, uh, of drugs and medication, and finding out that the orthopedic injury had given me a disease that is called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which is a neurological disease, and on the McGill pain scale, is the most painful disease. Nothing comes close to it, not even cancer, an amputation, nothing. Um, and so all of a sudden, my life went from being so amazing to all of a sudden being me on all medications, in bed, unable to do really much of anything, being kind of a vegetable. And for those who've never heard of RSD, it's reflex sympathetic dystrophy. It is the most painful disease known on the planet. It is called the suicide disease because of the level of pain and the number of suicides that happened from the disease. And um, Brian, what occurred for me was I got worse and worse and worse. I was getting ketamine, which is elephant tranquilizer, which was being ported into my veins. First, I had it for 14 consecutive days. It's a major hallucinogenic. And then I was getting it every month for three days. And I was actually thrown out of the ketamine program because it didn't help and it was ruining a lot of my organs. And so the story is this. One night, I am being one of the most positive people on the planet. I basically said, I can't tolerate this pain anymore. And my husband had been my caregiver for a long time. And I requested that friends took him out. I asked my nurse to leave all my medications by my bed, telling her it was easier for me to reach them. And the only other thing with me, medications, water, and my laptop. And that evening, I had made a decision to take my medications and to leave the planet. I just could not tolerate the pain. And I decided to write a note to really let my husband understand what I was going through. And Brian, I was writing this note 
And after a long period of time, I went to read the note and I realized I had written a book, (laughs) which is one of my books called Magnetizing. And I thought, what just happened? And I reread this book that I wrote and it was all about abundance and allowing abundance into your life. And in that moment, I said, Terry, you are meant to do something with RSD. It came to you for a reason. You have a voice, you have a following. And I went online and I Googled and I found out that there were millions of children with this disease. And I, as a very strong, positive adult, was crumbling from it. And then instantly I knew that I needed to educate people about this disease. I needed to start a foundation for kids. And I needed to devote my work and most of my income to RSD. So as odd as this sounds, Brian, it truly was one of the biggest blessings in my life. I still have the disease. It doesn't go anywhere. However, I get up every day and I function and I work to help others with the disease. Wow. So that completely blew me away. Um, just the, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the power of the situation and what you must have been going through. And then to hear that it's still all going on. And I don't think anyone that you didn't proactively tell that to, I don't think anyone would pick up on that. I, I want to ask you, there's two things that I was so curious about as you were telling that story. And thank you for what you just shared, especially, you know, that, that really dark moment that actually looking back, maybe it wasn't as dark as it felt leading into it because it was this turning point of, of like inspiration and light coming in into focus for you. What, what was the setting that all this took place in? So you mentioned your husband, like what was the rest of your life like that you were so happy about and felt so good about, you know, going to work out that day. Mm, Thank you for asking. So my business was something I was enjoying over the moon. I just loved my client family members. They were getting phenomenal results. I was a best-selling author of numerous books. I was speaking on stages all over the world. I had great supportive friends and family and I had great health, and I was about to head back to Aruba for vacation. I had been there several months before. It was a sunny day. I was driving in my convertible, and I loved working out with my trainer. So it just felt like, oh my gosh, everything is so aligned. Everything is magnificent, perfect. This is one of the best days of my life. And I had no idea, literally within an hour, I would be in the hospital and that this would have occurred. What's so interesting to me is a lot of what, what I talk about with people and and I've discovered for myself is living a life of purpose. And when you understand what your purpose is and you get to live aligned with that, you know, it's just, it's, it's inspiring. It's awakening. It's positive. It's all the things you just described about your life and why you felt good about it. And to hear that you were living a life aligned with your values, you know, you were getting your message out, you were helping people. So it's not like you were in this horrible place to begin with. Not at all. Um, so, but for that moment where the RSD was triggered, things were really good. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, that, it sounds like the kind of life that people, you know, build to for their whole, their whole life and, and usually never even get to because they get caught in that sort of, you know, the rat race approach to paying the bills and, just, you know, following the machine of day in, day out that so many people get trapped in. So you were free of that beforehand 
And then you could have been sucked right back into it. And it sounds like for 18 plus months, you, you probably wished you were sucked into that and not where you were at. Yeah, that's very true. During those 18 months, I did. I really did. And, you know, even today, just as a, a point to make here, I belong to a lot of Facebook groups with folks that are dealing with RSD. And literally, even today, even this morning, um, I got a message from one of the group members who was suicidal. And mm. people in the groups know my story. And I don't judge anyone. It, you know, I believe it's someone's right to be here on the planet or not be here on the planet. And I'm not wearing a judgment robe. However, I do encourage people before they they take that to really think and, and consider and do they have the right support system? Do they have people who can help them mentally, physically, emotionally? And is there a way, another way? And um, I've been doing this work now ever since I, I let people know that that's how the magnetized book was written. Hmm. So when I ask you about that moment where you wrote the book, you said it was this this message of abundance. Mm -hmm. Who are you? So I'm, I'm guessing the note going into it wasn't for you, but who was the message of abundance for? As you look back on it, who do you think you're really writing that for? It's a great question. In writing that book, the best way I can describe it, first of all, is almost like the book came through me because I really thought I was writing a suicide note. Yeah. And I initially believed that the message was for me. It was like, oh my goodness, uh, pay attention to all the abundant things in your life. And then I realized afterwards that the message is still for the folks that I impact and the folks that I touch. Yes, it was a wake up call for me to pay more attention. More importantly, I believe it's a message for those that I have the ability to inspire. So I presume you were writing it for your husband when you started it as sort of farewell, but maybe that, that wasn't right. Do, who was, who was the audience when you wrote it? Well, when I wanted to, when I thought I was writing a suicide note, it was for my husband, but that's yeah. not what came out at all. Okay. Um, and so I really think I, I have no idea how it came to be. I mean, to this day, I look at the book and go, where did that come from? I do think the initial message was for me to focus on my spiritual abundance, my mental abundance, all other areas, and as odd as it sounds, even physical abundance, while I was unable to walk and unable to use a lot of my body, just to give people a, a clue of what RSD feels like, when I fundraise for a foundation, I'll say something like this. Imagine someone took all the blood out of your veins, they filled you back up with lighter fluid, and they lit you on fire. You burn intensely. You can't have anyone come in the room with you because they move the air and the air makes you burn. You can't wear clothes because anything that touches you makes you burn. So I learned literally by writing that book to focus on physical abundance that wasn't the part of me that was burning. My face, thank goodness, was not burning. My hair wasn't burning. Uh, I could still use my eyes. I could still eat. And I just started to get more present to where do I have abundance? Let me focus more on that. Let me focus more on that. And eventually, literally forced myself to stand for a couple of seconds, eventually to take my first step and have been um, mostly, and I say mostly, mostly able to walk over these 11 years. I've had bouts where I go back into a wheelchair and I have some difficulties, which has happened right now, the last uh, two months. And wow. it just, it's okay. 
I literally have learned to navigate through it. I was going to ask if the pain was at the same level as those 18 months. And, you know, it sounds like there are times where it is. Yeah, that's a really important question. I want people to know that the pain is always there. RSD pain doesn't go away and there is no cure for it. So when people say to me, well, how do you navigate it? Mostly it's a mental game for me. It's getting Mm -hmm. strong mentally and saying, I got stuff to do. I got a life to live. This can't get in the way. And there are times when it physically, like it is right now, just overtakes me in a flare up and therefore I can't walk. So I'm in a wheelchair. I can do my work from a wheelchair. I can enjoy my life from a wheelchair. And I know I will work my hardest to get out. I always have. And I always will. Yeah. I mean, Terry, you know, my story from, and my wife's story from her illness, um, you know, and it's something I shared with the listeners as well. Um, one of the things that was so hard for her early on was, you know, when she, when she got out of being bedridden and she started to get out a a bit more. And like, I remember we went to a, a big family function. We didn't stay for long, but we were there. And a lot of the people who had trouble understanding or accepting what she was going through, much like her doctors who just sort of blamed her like, Oh, you're just depressed. Are you just making this up? Could you really have all those symptoms? Um, we got a lot of, but she looks good, you know, or like she wore makeup for the event. So it's like, yeah, but she looks okay. And, mm-hmm. and I wonder, did you, did you go through that where, cause your pain was within you. It wasn't like people looked at you and, you know, you had a cast on or, you know, like, I mean, obviously the wheelchair is something people can see, but it's almost, it's an invisible struggle to a lot of people. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because it is one of the things that comes up with this disease. Most of us look fine. So you see us and you just assume we're fine. Um, And so I'll have people say this quite a bit, and I do try to educate people on this. So it's a great question. They'll say to me or somebody else with RSD, but you look good. And that's actually not what we want to hear because inside we are burning and we do not feel good. And so we want people to be compassionate and understanding and telling us we look good is not the response that RSD folks want to hear. So what we want to hear is something like, I'm with you. Um, Oh my goodness, I can't even imagine. Um, Is there anything I can do for you? Those are supportive questions. Those are the kinds of comments to make And it is very interesting. I have people talk about this all the time in various RSD groups. It's it's almost offensive to people to hear, but you look good, which basically means, well, you can't feel that bad. That's how people take it. So that's a really good point that you brought up. Most people don't recognize that. So thank you. You know, it's it doesn't take an extreme situation to want to be validated. And I think there's there's a few things that I think are so crucial for us to be able to succeed in this world. And a lot of it has to do with what we do think and say to ourselves mm-hmm. and, and whether we're willing to take a self-loving, self-respecting position. But the other is with other people, first and foremost is just validate. You know, but you look good is essentially invalidating everything about what what you're saying. You know, it's your struggle. It doesn't matter. You look fine. So anytime I hear the word, but I get really concerned either with self-talk, you know, like someone will, will give you some sort of praise and you're immediately 
you say, yeah, but you know, you don't just say thank you and let it lie. We, we, we go to put ourselves down or we dismiss the comment with some counterpoint, but you know, just like you're talking about people were, we're doing it to you. The other one is just, that's another dangerous word in my mind is anytime you hear just watch out. I was like, well, can't you just, you know, can't you just do, can't you just get on with it? Can't you just push yourself a little bit harder today? Mm-hmm. Can't you just get yourself out of bed? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak to that for a second. I, I think what you brought up, especially with but, is so important. The word and to me is the better bridge or a better connector. So yes. like if I said to you, let's say I said to my husband, I really love you, but it kind of disqualifies everything. I really love you. And can you remember to put the so-and-so back in the refrigerator is very different. So, you know, instead of saying, you know, but you look good or you, whatever it might be, just to understand that someone doesn't feel well and that you can't physically see it. And to say something even like that, I can't see your pain. And I'm so sorry to hear that you have it. Yeah. That would be so appropriate. So I hope people do take that away. I, I think I think it's really important, the just, the but, really important languaging. Well, the response I get from some people who fight it is they're just words. I'm like, well, you just used what and I said it myself. <laughs> you just said yeah. just. Does it, does it actually do you any harm by saying like, and you look good? Cause then it's additive is like, wow, you're struggling and parts of you look healthy. You know, it's like, there's some good in there still. I know your body isn't doing what you want it to do. And it's also still doing some of the things that you needed to do that maybe you can't see right now. Like it's, it's a validation and an addition instead of a dismissal. And that's, but is just a dismissal in the end. And I, He's just to describe, but which is appropriate, right? (laughs) And when you said, you know, what's just words, well, words create emotions. Words are very powerful and people remember words and people take words to heart. Um, If you think about how miscommunication happens, somebody says something, someone gets offended, you know, sometimes people never talk again because of something like that. So words are very powerful. I always tell people Think and choose words carefully because once they're out of your mouth, you actually cannot take them back when somebody's heard them. Absolutely. You can take responsibility and apologize and try to change the situation, but but they were said and then that feeling is there. So you best validate it and not dismiss it, you know, or just get over it. You know, I, I didn't mean it like that. Come on. It's like, well, the pain is still there. Right. Do you think telling them that they're absurd for being hurt, which they didn't, you know, they weren't actively choosing like, oh, I heard that. Let me, you know what? Let me be offended by that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a reaction and we can, we can control that through work, but they weren't consciously choosing like, yeah, today I'm going to be upset with him. Um, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you, you can, you as the sayer need to take some responsibility for what you're saying. Agreed. Great point. I love responsibility. I love yeah. that. So, I'm really curious about how you were able to, not just with the inspiration you took from writing about that message of abundance, but how were you able to turn the situation around for how you lived in it? You know, the Mm. the pain is still there, the RSD is still there, but you are living in it very differently than you had been prior to that moment. So, you know, and and I, I asked this sort of on behalf of the people out there who are struggling with something big or actually a lot of people who don't have this sort of smack you in the face moment, 
they almost use that as an excuse for not being able to change. Like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have anything that's going to throw an epiphany at me, so I can't do it. Right. What's, what's the learning that you have to share with others from that? So being very transparent, I had gotten myself into what I'll label now as a pity party. Woe is me, poor me, my entire life is turned around, I'm in pain day and night, I can't function, I'm not functional, Uh, this is too much, I can't bear this, and one thought leads to another, leads to another, leads to another, and I was deep in what I will label as a pity party. I couldn't get out, I couldn't see my way out, nothing anyone said or did was helping me get out. And when I reflected on my gosh, I I wrote a book and it's a positive, encouraging book. And it's certainly not a suicide note. One of the things that hit me was stop the pity party, Terry. We always have a choice. Our thoughts are choices. No one can make us feel anything. And I have been choosing all poor thoughts, not the kinds of thoughts I've normally chosen. So I said, what are the thoughts I want to choose instead? I don't want to sit here and say, I'm in pain. I'm burning. I'm struggling. What's a better thought? And so I started to pick things that I was happy about and start to think those thoughts. I have amazing client family members who haven't left, even though here I am in this situation, they've still found a way to work with me. I still have authors that want to publish. I still have publishers that want to publish my work as an author. I have the most loyal, amazing spouse on the planet standing by me. I, I'm financially free, so I'm able to have a lot of caregivers and folks taking care of me. And I would just go on and on. And it's it's the words I would use to describe this: of flipping the switch. Every time my brain went to what wasn't right, I would say, what is working? What is going right? And instantly flip the switch to more things that were going right. And my goal was to stay present in what is working for a minimum of 17 seconds because quantum physics shows us like attracts like. And if I can think positive thoughts for 17 seconds, I can bring more of that, more of that, more of that in until I got to the point where it was just happening very naturally. I've never heard of the 17 seconds. I love that. Cause some people they'll give it a couple of seconds and the doubt's still in their head. And yeah. It's almost, um, it's almost like anyone out there who runs sometimes you have to get past this initial hurt and, and discomfort and your body's warming up and then you're warmed up and then you get into a flow. It's like you, you have to get over that point. And it's, is, is 17 seconds the minimum or 17 seconds is where it clicks? Like what's the. Mm. 17 seconds, according to Stephen Hawkins is the minimum. Um, and I will say to clients and certainly say to the listeners, the more you stay in it, the better it is and the easier it gets. So when I ended up a couple months ago, getting back in an RSD flare up, I literally started doing journaling of the positive aspects of what was going on in my life. And I would talk out loud about it and I would stay very present to it over and over and over again for as long as I could. And the second that a nanosecond comes up where it's like, oh my goodness, I've got pain and I'm burning. It's like, uh uh-uh, start thinking about things that are going well and going right. And again, making sure I stay there as long as possible. That's great. I love that you talked about journaling. I think there are so many tools that we have at our disposal, whether it's the 17 seconds, whether it's journaling. One thing that we do with my son every night is we just go around and we say, you know, what were you most thankful for today? And the only rule we have is 
you have to have something. So we say most thankful, which would imply there can only be one thing. Like, you know, technically you can't have more than one best friend or your definition of best might be flawed. <laughs> but if he, you know, if he wants to talk about three or four things or has a hard time choosing, that's fine. You just can't talk about nothing. And it's the same for all of us. And they can be little or they can be big. And right now it probably has something to do with Lego. But, you know, sometimes it's more profound stuff. Um, I always love when I get home in time, you know, if I've been away, I get home in time for bedtime and it's, I'm glad that you got home tonight so I could see you. I was like, oh yes, score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then that becomes my most thankful thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, some people laugh it off and actually it's really powerful. And I'm glad you called that out. I'm glad Stephen Hawking did is, you know, it's, it's very real. Like does attract like positivity is, um, it's contagious and so is negativity. And so it's your choice, which one you want to let, you know, fester in a bad way or blossom in a good way. That's completely up to you, which one you allow in. Life always has both. It's just a question right. of which one you're looking at. Mm, really well said. And life does always have both. So it depends where you choose. And that word choose is important to me, where you choose to focus. You can focus your attention. You can focus your thoughts. No one is in charge of any of that other than you. Yeah. Some people find that word choose or choice to be offensive. Is, you know, well, I didn't choose this. You certainly didn't choose RSD. And hearing how you talk about it, it doesn't feel like you feel punished or woe is me or why me or, I mean, you haven't, you haven't said any of that. And, you know, it could just be that that's the image that you're putting out. But if I look at what you've been doing since this hit you, it's pretty hard to imagine that you're sitting there, you know, once you made it out of that initial 18 months of a pretty extreme pain and, and in a very extreme situation and circumstances, you haven't, you haven't shown any signs of secretly inside, despite telling people otherwise that you're beating yourself up or the world up for it, that you've made a choice that other people might think is offensive to say it's a choice. You know, I didn't choose any of this. But I think you've proven, at least to yourself and to those who've responded to your message, that it can be a choice and you don't have to look at that offensively. It's just a fact, no matter how hard the choice may be. So, yeah, I agree with that. Um, listen, this is my belief and might not resonate with everyone. We all came forth by whoever created us to have experience here in this body on this planet. And I don't know why I came forth to have this experience. Um, I do accept that it's my experience and I'm going to own it. So as odd as it may sound, when I have a lot of burning or flare up that some people refer to pain, I consider them sensations and I consider them sensations to dive into and not to avoid and to be present with and to say, there's something in this for me. I came to this planet in this physical body. And so I need to experience this because this is what's occurring for me. And I know that sometimes that's difficult for people. It's, it's kind of you know, very spiritual and kind of out there. Well, it may be out there. It may be woo. It is my belief. And the more that I accept this is part of my journey and just enjoy the journey the less that this slows me down, bothers me, disturbs me, or gets in the way. And the more that I can actually embrace, this is just a part of my journey. This is a great way to look at it. So Terry, tell me about Heartrepreneur. 
Oh, I love talking about that. So how that. did you get to that? <laughs> Thanks for asking. So uh, 20 something years ago, I started my coaching and consulting and mentoring business. And uh, about four years ago, I was with one of my publishers and I was pitching a book that I wanted to do. And it was going to be about creating rapid ROI in your business. And he listened to my idea and he turned to me and he'd known me for a while. And he said, "Mm, I want you to write me a book about how you do business because you're heart based and people don't know how to do business that way. So I want you to write about heart entrepreneur. And I remember saying, what? And he said, heart entrepreneur. I said, I don't know what you mean. He said, that's who you are to me. You're an entrepreneur with heart who performs in that way. And when I left that meeting during the hours of thinking on the way back to my office, I decided that resonated. I actually started a company with that name, changed my company name, changed the brand, trademarked the word heart entrepreneur, and then went on to define what it meant, what the code of values was. And then I wrote a best-selling book about a year and a half ago, I guess, called Turbocharge, How to Transform Your Business as a Heart Entrepreneur. And I've now gone on to teach people what that means and how to do your business from integrity, mm-hmm. transparency, authenticity, and with love, in literally love for yourself, love for others, prospects, client family members, vendors, employees, contractors, no matter what, and I'm going to say that again, no matter what is going on, even if they screwed something up in your business or they made a mistake, how do you come from love at all times? Yeah. Well, that is awesome. And it's so, the, the, the thing that I always say about the most successful businesses is all they have is their values. Everyone's like, it's the people. Well, people come and go. It's the people, hopefully, because you've chosen the right people and they have the right values aligned to where this company or this product or this person needs to be. And as soon as you start compromising on values, then things start to shift. Quality drops. um, Customers aren't treated the way they need to. You haven't once said customer or client. You've always said client family member. I've noticed that like the entire phrase every time. And even that is such a signal of this idea of heart is they're not the source of our, our money. They're part of what we're doing. They're part of us. And that is a really, I think, beautiful way to look at your customers, your clients or whatever people want to refer to them as. And when you see them as integral, you take a different approach in how you treat them. And they're going to, they're going to notice that and they'll reward you, you know, in, in response. What I believe is if somebody invests anything with you, I don't care if they give you a penny or if they give you a hundred thousand dollars, they are basically saying, I believe in you and I energetically want to show you that I am. So to me, it's, our jobs truly as business owners to care and to let people know that they matter. And it doesn't matter if they've invested a penny. Um, I currently am doing this entirely free course that literally like is my life's work that I normally would have sold that I'm giving away. And a gentleman messaged me on Facebook and said, there isn't ever a free lunch. What's your real motive? And I said, with the heart entrepreneur philosophy, 
there is a free lunch. There's free lunches, breakfast, dinners, the buffet is open. So shift your thinking and just understand that it doesn't matter if someone invests or not. If you're willing to help others, give to others, serve others, share with others, and then those that do invest, you give massive value to. That's my philosophy. That's heartpreneur philosophy. That I I totally agree with. I think people need to suspend disbelief for a minute and drop the suspicion. And there's, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, there are people out there who lead us to be suspicious through their actions. But the 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 pain that someone's going through, where that's how they're going to interact with everyone, and they're going to yeah. presume. You know, they're going to presume maliciousness or presume that someone's up to something right off the bat. One thing they've come to learn is that person has been through something that has scarred them and they haven't worked through it or they're exactly. not getting the help that they need. Um, have you, have you gotten a negative backlash? I mean, I know this, you know, this is one form of that, but have you gotten, you know, bad book reviews and things like that? I'm, I'm curious about the negative take on it and how you've responded to that. Great question. I really haven't. Um, we've got a, about 1,200 people in what we call the Heartrepreneur cause or movement in the Heartrepreneur Facebook group with people supporting each other, doing business together, uh, forwarding the philosophy and, and carrying the torch for it. Uh, this was one of, you know, maybe five, quote unquote, um, questioning about it. And, you know, there's, what do you mean? There's no free lunch. I'll get that every once in a while. Or sometimes if I do a webinar, people are used to the end of the webinar, somebody's pitching something and I'll invite people to a webinar. I'll spend two hours. I'll give value. I'll coach people on the webinar. And then at the end of the webinar, people will message me and say, I was waiting for you to pitch something like nobody does that. I'm like, Yep. Well, this is a different way of doing business. Um, and they, they don't trust it. They're skeptical just because it's not the way business is done today. And that's why the Heartrepreneur cause really exists. Our goal is to transform the way business is done and to make it more heart to heart and heart based and authentic and transparent. It's like it used to be, you know, way, way back in the day where, you know, a handshake was good enough people's word was good enough. And there's a lot that we've lost as a result of not being able to act that way. If, if everyone engaged from the heart, you remove so much of the pain and, and frankly, the waste. Mm-hmm. You think about the overhead that we expend on uh, you know, fraud and second guessing and contracting and all that. It's not that maybe you don't need contracts, but all the back and forth and it's just all of it I mean, the whole idea of contracts is one of us is going to screw the other one. So we need to have some things in writing to make sure that we don't get screwed too badly or that we have recourse for it so we can screw you back. I mean, it's just like, look, you're, you're entering into a relationship and you're going to start it off with the presumption of everything falling apart, which I get why some people get very uncomfortable about prenups. It's like, we're about to get married. Isn't this joyous? By the way, just in case you screw me later let me just make sure I get mine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you, you walk into something that should be positive mm-hmm. with this upfront presumption that everything fell apart before it even began. Yep. Yeah. Well, I actually, 
my belief is that human beings are good people innately. They're good. They want to do the right thing and that they're good. And unfortunately, um, they've experienced some not quite right yet with another human being. And then it causes them to be overly cautious. And you know what? What's going to happen in the world is going to happen in the world. Some people are going to abuse me, mistreat me, take stuff from me for free, whatever. I'm not worried about that. Uh, people ask me when I put content out, well, why are you giving that away for free? Somebody might steal it, whatever. I don't believe that I have the only original ideas on the planet. We all have them. So if I put an idea out, other people will be thinking a similar idea. So for me, it's just about accepting and knowing and I really do believe this, that innately all human beings, I really mean this, innately are good. They might engage in behaviors that we might disagree with. And I don't know their journey. I don't know their story. I don't know how they were brought up, what their beliefs are. I'm not here to wear the judgment robe. I'm here to offer love, kindness, and acceptance. That's really beautiful. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with any, any of the philosophy in Buddhism. Yes, I am. One of the basic precepts for listeners who don't know about it is that everyone just seeks to be happy. And so when we say that everyone's good is we all have the same basic desire to be happy. Now, sometimes someone's pursuit of happiness may get in the way of mine. And we presume that that was on purpose and that their intent was to cause me harm or to, you know, to stop me from whatever I thought would bring me happiness when actually they're just solely focused on their own and maybe didn't realize the fallout for someone else. So I was, I used this, this analogy that I was driving home from the airport one day and a guy cut me off and he was really intent to get in front of me and I could either get all worked up and, you know, flick him the bird and honk at him and try to cut him off, which I'm not sure how that would have helped anyone. Maybe, you know, we would have gotten in an accident. Or I could just say, you know what, that guy wanted so desperately to get to wherever he's going, being one car closer was just incredibly important to him. And he wasn't like, I'm going to make that guy one car further back. He mm. just wanted to get one car closer to where he was going. Mm -hmm. And I just, I ended up smiling about it. And I don't think most people think about getting cut off in traffic that day, but really like that guy, he didn't care about me whatsoever. I doubt he was trying to harm me. You know, he didn't know me at all. It's not like we had been, um, you know, like jockeying for position on the highway for a while. Like he just, he wanted to be further ahead and that's what was important to him in that moment and his pursuit of happiness. And that's fine. It doesn't make him a bad person. It doesn't make him a good person either, but it's just irrelevant. And me getting worked up isn't going to do anything for anyone. So it's just like allow for him to go after his happiness without having to give up mine. I can choose to get worked up and then I'm definitely not happy or just recognize the basic pursuit that we all have and you don't get so worked up anymore. Exactly. Exactly. And, and I really just think if we don't take everything so personally, Brian, yeah, we're just living our experience and someone else they're living their experience. So it's not like that they're out to get us or, you know, create something for us. They're, they're in their own experience. Stephen Covey, I co-authored a book with him many years ago and he told the story about the, the guy on the train that has two kids that are really out of control and people are like, Oh my God, what is wrong with this guy? He's letting his kids run around. And you know, they finally criticize him and say, but you're like a horrible dad. And he says, I'm really sorry. We just came from their mother's funeral. 
And all of a sudden, it changes the perspective. It changes everything. Well, my experience is I don't know what your experience is. And so I just honor you and love you because I don't know what's going on for you. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people like to presume and pass judgment as a result. You keep saying, I'm not wearing the judgment robe. I think we all need yeah. to, to recognize that. Mm-hmm. Yes. So Terry, you have this initiative you've got going on, gethotpayingclients.com. What is that all about? Is that, is that the free lunch that you were talking about before? Or is this something it different? It's a free lunch and it really is a free lunch. So here's what happened. I, I've been teaching coaches, consultants, speakers, trainers, authors, anybody with a service business, how to create a, a high ticket program, how to launch it. And then automatically how to get really great quality prospects raising their hand to work with you. And I've been teaching this for many years now. And what I decided to do was to take all of that material, it's pretty much my life's work, and put it in a course. When I did the course, I felt that the course had just a ridiculous amount of value. And instead of selling it, I made a decision to actually give it away. And, you know, when I say, say to people, I'm giving it away, they're like, yeah, but yeah. And no, there is no any of that. In fact, if you don't want to give your email address, when you opt in at get hot, H-O-T, get hot paying clients.com, you can get it by Facebook messenger bot. I don't even need your email address. Just want to provide the course, want to help and want to serve. And we're getting literally rave reviews all over social media about this course and it's making a real difference for people. So it's my way of giving back to the world of business that has been so, so good to me. That's great. And free lunch or not, doesn't matter. It's, I mean, I can tell right now what you're saying and, um, it's, it sounds like it's a great program and you genuinely mean it. Um, that's a huge thing to offer back out and I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes so, um, people can get an easy way to get there. Other than get hot paying clients, how can people find you and, and where are you, where are you living, uh, online electronically these days so people can find all of your work? Great. So if you want to just know more about me and get a, a feel for me, get a lot of free resources, that's at terrylevine.com. And the website that we use to really have people get educated about Heartrepreneur is heartrepreneur.com. And I also will say to people, if this resonates and you want to be a part of the cause and you want to do business with like-minded people and you want to be able to have other people know about your services who are like-minded, then on Facebook, we have a group that you can request to join, which is hashtag heartrepreneurs with an S, heartrepreneurs with Terry Levine. And uh, if you're part of that group, you will see some real magic that goes on there uh, in, in ways for you to promote yourself and your business from transparency, integrity, and authenticity. That's great. And Twitter, Facebook for you, Facebook you all those things. is Heartrepreneur Terry Levine. Twitter is Mentor Terry. And LinkedIn is Terry Levine. Thank you for asking. And I'm active on all social media platforms. And you're Terry with two R's. Yes. T-E-R-R-I-L-E-V-I-N-E. As a Brian with a Y, I'm always sensitive to how people spell their name. (laughs) I understand. It's just just me and Brian Adams for anyone who would remember who (laughs) Brian Adams is. Um, 
Well, thank you so much, Charming. You, you shared a lot of really, um, I think for a lot of people listening who don't know your story, this could have been one of those episodes where it was just a kind of jaw drop. Wow. And a, that you're here to tell the story today and you're not just here, but you're here in a very big way, you know, a world inspiring, a world changing way. And that is tremendous. Not just how you're giving back to, you know, all of those kids that you mentioned and people suffering with RSD who need someone to advocate for them and to look up to them and to bring attention and bring hope. But then also what you're still doing with your, you know, the professional career that you've had going for a while and, and, um, not just building it for you, but building it for others and, and turning that around outwardly just to help people because you know that your stuff helps. Um, and that is really beautiful. So I'm, I'm so thankful that you're here today to share everything with everyone. Thank you for having me. I love the work that you're doing in the world. I had you on my show and it was such an honor to get to know you. And I'm really grateful to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. We didn't even mention you also have a podcast where you're also sharing out inspiration um, and your message. So we'll link to that too. And of course, people can and should uh, follow you and subscribe um, on iTunes. And I imagine you're kind of like on every major podcasting uh, yeah. network out there as well. We're on all the platforms with Heartrepreneur Radio and uh, in, invite folks to tune in and um, just to really understand what it's like to do business this way and to live this way. It's pretty beautiful. That's great. Well, Terry, thank you. And the thing I love to remind people of is that tomorrow is a new day. Go out and do it. Awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. Thank you, Brian. How amazing is Terry? Can you imagine living with that level of pain on a daily basis? And the whole process for her to figure out what's going on and whether there's a path out of it. And sitting down to end your life. And going through that process and coming into a completely different place. She, she sort of did end her life in the sense that she ended the struggle that she was in. And she, she started a new life of creation, of inspiration, of possibility, even though the situation was so similar still. I think that's really empowering and inspiring. And again, it's, it's one of these moments where you can think, maybe I'm capable of a lot more. And when I'm feeling down and out, when I feel like everything's against me, maybe it's not, and maybe there's still possibility. Seeing that, having that hope, that can create a lot of opportunity for you. And that's, that's incredible. So I'm thankful for Terry for sharing her story and sh reminding us, you know, showing us, reminding us that there's possibility in any situation. Of course, you should definitely follow Terry at Mentor Terry, the podcast Heartrepreneur Radio. You should absolutely subscribe and keep getting her message and her inspiration in the, uh, the interviews that she does. And subscribe to this one too. Subscribe to Do A Day Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really important that you know, if you want to move ahead, you keep getting the inspiration, you keep getting those pushes, those other people who bring a thought to you that maybe you didn't think about before, that could literally change your life. So follow me at Brian Falchuk on all social media, check out doadaybook.com. If all of this is speaking to you, and you haven't read it yet, pick up do a day, it'll start you down that path. And of course, tune in next time and hear another person's story of how they went through a journey overcame, and found a way out that could help inspire you to do the same.
so that you can do another day. Thanks, everybody.